Back to our show, Telly Buddies. I'm Eric Saris, and joining me on this adventure into the small screen is co-host Michael Clancy. We're here to share our favorite television and streaming series with you, talk about what makes them great, and share some interesting stories along the way. This episode, we dive into Rick and Morty, a ridiculous and witty sci-fi comedy from Adult Swim. Michael, this show is kind of a cult hit in its first season. How'd you first hear about it? Um... God, that's a really good question. I'm not entirely sure how I even heard about it. It was it was one I, I don't think I'd heard very much about it, to be honest. I think I'd maybe just read a couple of things about it. Um, and, you know, we talked about Stranger Things just, just the other day. You know, that's something I came to uh, having heard so much about it and with there being so much expectation going into it that... Um, Rick and Morty complete opposite you know just heard that this was something worth watching I hadn't really heard anything about it didn't know what to expect and it was one of those episodes where I was hooked pretty much from the the, the first scene where um where old crazy old alcoholic Rick stumbles into Morty's room drunk and threatens to stab him I mean that's a hell of a way to grab you yeah that's a really good setup I don't think I've ever had a show that's really just like grip my attention that way and and my with my mind completely not knowing what to expect i mean you 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 have like those long draw openings like breaking bad that set up a mystery or you know the complete panic of the the plane crash on the beach and lost and this one yeah i'm just like i i don't know what to expect but i know i'm going to like it yeah tr- like traditionally speaking i i tend to to navigate or 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 be drawn to 20 minute shows and comedy shows more like my my kind of like history in tv has, has been those sorts of things you know such as it is you know i spend a lot of time watching movies and dedicating a couple hours at a time to sit down and watch a movie um usually when it comes to tv i'm looking for something a little bit lighter something that i can just kind of sit down uh, spend 20 minutes on maybe and you know that i think that makes for for an easier show to kind of gorge on um, with, you know, just 20 minutes, you know, you could maybe spend an hour, watch two or three episodes. Um, so it, this kind of fits right into the wheelhouse of what I'm looking for. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it has a much more episodic feel than Stranger Things, that's for sure. And Well, you know, before we get too deep into Rick and Morty, what are you watching right now? Anything good? So um, this is a this is one that I I don't really I can't really claim to to be watching religiously, um, but it's it's one of those ones where my wife has just gotten into a show, and so she is whenever she has a free moment, she sticks this on. Um, so she's about three seasons into Buffy the Vampire Slayer right now so and it's one that you know she's not watching it i'm not watching it with her per se like when i have time i'll sit down and watch an episode with her um and that was kind of my relationship to it when it was had its original run as well it was something that i i was never like hooked on i was never had to like sit down and watch it was something that if it was on i could kind of sit down and enjoy uh and appreciate and I think particularly with those earlier seasons where they're kind of sticking more with the kind of monster of the week where the gang are, are battling, uh, you know, 
hyenas that have possessed a group of kids or or like i don't know some evil clown that's running riot in a kid's hospital or something like that so it it, it kind of suits for that um i have a general idea of what happens in buffy the vampire slayer um throughout the seasons i kind of know where they're going having not even seen all of the episodes so like it, it's kind of fun for me and like i kind of know where it's going as well so i kind of have the the benefit of hindsight whereas as my wife she she hasn't seen any of it so i'm sort of like oh yeah let's see how this goes let's see where this is going um so it's it's been fun i I don't know you you ever watched any buffy no i haven't seen buffy unfortunately i i love joss whedon i really got into it with firefly uh watching that three or four years ago for the first time um so buffy's definitely one i need to check out check out yeah it's because of the there's so much lore around it yeah and it's and it's good like it it's good fun like i i've not seen anything that makes me want to go back and kind of watch all of the episodes again but like you know we, we kind of talk about these the, you know it's obviously a longer show like you're you're more your 42 minute mark but it, it is very watchable and there is kind of that accessibility that you don't always get with these kind of longer drama episodes you know you can kind of you can kind of jump in and out and you know they, they do have the the overarching recurring plot line that will come up you know whether it's angel has gone bad or you know they're battling the master or something like that but but it's still very accessible and 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 it's good fun you know i i i absolutely love um uh oh what's his name anthony anthony head or whatever he's called who plays giles as the watcher i think he's fantastic and you know sarah michelle geller she's very charismatic and 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 the the rest of the crew as well alison hannigan um does a very good account of herself as well so and it's also just fun kind of going back and reliving the the kind of late 90s fashions of the day um which you know, <laughs> you know I, I i don't know about you but the 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 90s still doesn't feel all that long away from me but then when you watch shows like that you're like oh wow uh, i guess i guess we have come a long way yeah no it definitely feels like the 90s are far away uh, even <laughs> though <laughs> um you know it's I was a kid then. I'd like to think that I'm not a kid anymore. So going back and seeing some of those, you're like, yeah, some of this might not fly today or it might be a little hackneyed, but um, a lot of it still holds up. And I think when you have something like Buffy, which again, I haven't seen, but I've obviously heard about, but where you have this fantastical storyline that could exist anywhere, anytime, and you ground it um, in a very real world uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems a lot like Stranger Things, where you have this fantastical story grounded in the 80s. And so with Buffy, even though it's the present day at the time, having this fantastical story grounded in the 90s, I'm sure that gives it a lot more depth and watchability. Yeah, I mean, there is an aspect to that, certainly, although I, th- I think they play a little bit more fast and loose with the rules. I mean, there is a murder at that high school pretty much every week by some sort of bizarre <laughs> monster. And life just ca- kind of carries on as normal, whereas, you know, in Stranger Things one kid goes missing and the whole time kind of shuts down and a mother starts hacking up parts of her her cabin. People are a lot less kind of... I, I don't know, maybe it was just the kind of cynical 90s. You know, the, the odd the odd teenage death in Sunnydale is, is seemingly not that big a deal. <laughs> maybe they just get used to it, I don't know. But, like, one of my... One of my favorite things about watching the show is kind of not even watching the show, but kind of watching my wife's reactions to it because, you know, she's <laughs> and she is mostly outraged. She's, she's not bothered about like the vampires and she's not particularly vo- bothered about the violence or things like that. The thing that outrages her the most is like the fashion choices and most specifically like <laughs> Sarah Michelle Geller's fashion choices. She's just like, oh, come on. She can't wear a dress that short in high school. That is just absolutely not on. <laughs> I was like, well, that's that's maybe how they do it in Sunnydale, Elizabeth. But uh, yeah, so 
Well, is it funny when it, when a show does that where it makes you question, you know, the the length of the skirt compared to, um, you know, high school dress code? But it's totally believable that these vampires and angels and other <laughs> mythical creatures are running around in California. Yeah, I mean that's fine. That the you know that is the world that we're living in. But you know you've got to have yeah. some sort of anchor in reality, and uh, perhaps that's where Buffy lets itself down. Well. I mean, I'm sure it's one of many shows that have little things like that. And it's, you know, it's it's how obsessive you want to be as a fan. I, I think you can quickly let yourself down if you get too picky. Yeah, I don't think the outrage even necessarily comes from the fact that, like, what she's wearing is so ridiculous. It's because she, like, kind of pays attention to the background characters. And she's like, look what everyone else is wearing. Everyone else is wearing completely normal stuff. And then Buffy's there, like, as if she's about to walk down, like, a, a, run, a, a catwalk uh, runway or something. So, yeah, it's just yeah. those little attentions to things. But, yeah, I, I'm having fun uh, watching my wife watching uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Nice. That's that's really good. Well, and then since we're talking about Buffy, um, I'm curious, since you've seen it, uh, you know, um, the episode of Rick and Morty, uh, Big Trouble in Little Sanchez, where he takes his young clone body and goes <laughs> to the high school to be the vampire killer. Are there any Buffy references peppered throughout that? Well, they kind of, yeah, I guess the whole thing is kind of a reference to it because, you know, the way into that episode um, is, or, or, or the whole motivations for that is they're going to hunt like a vampire in the school. And I guess like the big joke is like they take care of that in the first two minutes and they're like, oh, I can't believe it was, uh, I can't believe it was the, the gym teacher or something like that. And Co- Coach Ferratu. Yeah. <laughs> Coach Ferratu, yeah. That's great. Um, so yeah, I guess it's kind of a play off that. I, I think like they they kind of make references to that, and maybe you know they 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 they're in on the joke where um, nobody seems that outraged that like a gym teacher's been murdered. Although they, they do call back later in the episode where Rick gets expelled for um, uh, for murdering the gym teacher for murdering the gym teacher. So yeah, I, I guess I guess they're kind of in on that joke, but they're they're taking things a little bit more seriously. Perhaps the the, the police in Sunnydale should have been taking it that seriously as well. <laughs> yeah, hopefully you would think if this happened in real life, we'd you, hope the police would take it more seriously. <laughs> you can only hope. Yeah, right. What yeah. What about you? What have you been watching this week? Uh, so my. Girlfriend and I are finishing up Parks and Rec. We've never seen the sixth and seventh season, and she's just finishing the fifth right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we're we're winding down season five, and my God, that show still holds up, still cracks me up, even watching these episodes again. And I'm really excited to get, you know, quote-unquote new episodes when we hit the sixth and seventh season. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just... <laughs> I mean, yeah, what's there to say about the show? It's fantastic. It's just, you know, it. a lot of people treat it like office light, but I think it really came into its own, especially with Amy Poehler's character uh, being very different from Steve Carell's take on Michael Scott, and it really gave it a voice of its own. And, um, yeah, like, I guess I probably rank the office higher, but if I'm... If I'm going to pick between the two of them, and I know I don't want to feel bummed out, I'm probably going to pick Parks and Rec. Well, it's tricky, isn't it? I mean, because you're you're absolutely right, and you know, ho- I, I would hope we'll do uh, give Parks and Rec its own episode as we go forward. Perhaps once you finish up with the season, but you know, when you look, if you go back to season one and season two of that show, it is just they're attempting to be a complete ripoff of The Office, and then it kind of grows into this own thing, uh, takes. It kind of pivots, kind of pivots with like the whole show, kind of shifts what every character's about around about the beginning of season three and takes it in a whole different direction. You know, still doing the same the same show at heart, but just kind of 
with almost like a different message like it almost finds like it's completely different stride and it's weird yeah. to see how like that show grows and grows into something so powerful whereas something like the office you know once once steve carell leaves you know you could argue there's a, maybe a, a season or two worth of that but they carry on for what three four seasons after carell leaves and and it kind of limps to a finish and it kind of feels like they've run out of ideas and it kind of feels like some of the characters they have no idea what they're doing with and so yeah it, it's really interesting to see how one show kind of builds and builds and finds its feet and goes out on this great high where everyone's going to miss it and and whereas opposed to the office it almost kind of just limps to a conclusion i don't know that's how i felt about it anyway but yeah well i mean that that's opening a whole new can of worms <laughs> with when i talk about the last couple of seasons of the office versus the rest of the show but uh yeah um that will be a topic for another episode. Yeah, stick really a pin in that. Point. Really let's, good let's, points let's make a note. made. In, yeah, and good comparison between Parks and Rec and The Office. Well, um, what's going on in Season 5 of Parks and Rec? I, I, I'm not sure of the timeline so much. What, oh, what, yes. What's happening right now? Uh, Ron is dating um, Xena, Warrior Princess. Oh, yeah, right, right. In, in, in the show, off the top of my head. Diane, yeah. Uh, so he's, he's with her with the kids, and Anne and Chris Traeger are agreed to raise a baby um and oh tom haverford has just paired up with mona lisa john ralphio's deplorable sister so oh god that that's the part we just hit which is great on the rewatch but the first time was completely sickening <laughs> yeah, definitely <laughs> definitely oh cool well yeah I, I look forward to you getting through all those episodes so we can do a parks and Rex episode in the future excellent yeah i'm looking forward to it too it's, it's a great show That's enough of. Uh, I, I feel like that's enough of the preamble. I am. I'm chomping yeah, at the bit yeah. to get to the main event. I mean, I am. I'm squanching at the bit to to kind of get in here. <laughs> this is going to be Squanch one squanch. away, sir. Yes. So uh, Rick and Morty, uh, created by Justin Roiland, Dan Harmon, uh, obviously Dan Harmon of uh, Community fame as well as uh, lots of other worthy projects, premiered on Adult Swim, December second, twenty thirteen, I believe. Uh, so far, we're we're two seasons into it. We're twenty one episodes into it. Uh, I I don't know, man. What can you say about this? I, I I mean, I already mentioned it. This this show grabbed me from the opening thirty seconds. I think it had me in in fits of laughter within the first two minutes. And like, I don't know. I I, I feel like we can kind of jump around a little bit. Um, 
for Rick and Morty more than we did with Stranger Things, you know, rather than that being one continuous kind of storyline, almost one movie spread over eight episodes. This is this is something a little bit different. It's got kind of more standalone episodes. Again, it does kind of have uh, an, 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 maybe a slight overarching plot across the two seasons. But uh, yeah, I, I feel like we can jump a, around a lot more on this. And, uh, you know, before we, before we got uh, sat down to record this, I was trying to make a note of like all of my favorite episodes and <laughs> it's a long list man it's a, it's a yeah. long list like you're kind of reading the recaps of every episode and you're just sort of like whoa this is uh this this is a high turnaround rate of like really really classic really solid uh, episodes yeah it, it reminds me a lot of early simpsons where i feel like not only do you have great episodes and that it's it's mainly episodic so you can kind of jump in at any point in fact i think the first episode I ever saw was the second one where they do the whole inception uh you know layers of dreams going into their dog's mind and the dog's taking over the world so I didn't need to have the pilot to find that funny or meaningful or get a sense of the characters and I think it speaks volumes to a show that has really good character uh development and like a good idea um where these characters are going to be like you know as the show progresses and what their their wounds might be you know the things that they're dealing with or their different strengths and stuff and giving them all a unique voice um especially on a cartoon show where you have people doing multiple voices and uh i'm sure all of our listeners are aware that justin roiland voices both rick and morty as, as well as other characters here and there it's it's really impressive to get two distinct people from the same genetic line too uh coming out of one person's mouth and i'm trying to think like is there a way all right i'm gonna try and do like a 60 second summary of rick and morty do it yeah yeah um, go for it okay so it kicks off we obviously have rick has moved back in um with his daughter or moved in with his daughter uh and he's having a tough time uh just kind of living in society i mean there's this big frustration within rick kind of dealing with everyone in the world and i think we've all had moments like that where we uh, are frustrated with a certain thing, but Rick actually has like <laughs> bigger issues to deal with on a galactic level, and that's what I would say this whole show is about. It's as I've said to people, it's kind of like watching a drunk Doc Brown take a retarded Marty McFly on adventures through the space-time continuum. So that's kind of my general summary. But as we go through, it gets really deep. We we follow the thread of uh, Beth and Jerry's kind of deteriorating marriage and whether, whether or not they love each other or they're together just for the kids. And we see Summer evolve in her, um, you know, relationship with her grandfather, Rick, and starting to get on more and more adventures. And we, we have a lot of recurring themes too, that, that go out through the show of, uh, developing a trust between the first, um, the title characters and, that uh, we also learn more, a little bit about Rick's backstory and how he's part of this kind of resistance army, it seems like, against the galactic government, which, you know, culminates in the season two cliffhanger finale of killing his best friend and, you know, fellow conspirator with the government attacking them in a big sting operation. So there are little drips throughout the series that we can talk about that, you know, hint at that coming up, but... Um, yeah, I think that's the basic general plot of the series, and I'm really looking forward to season three answering some of the questions that the season two finale have left hanging in the air. Yeah, oh, I can't wait, I can't wait. And uh, it was interesting, like, to hear you kind of talk about, um, 
I think you'd mentioned like the Simpsons and Futurama as the as, as those kind of things. And I, th- I think I read an interview with um, with Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland. They did a really good interview for the AV Club. Um, I think in between season one and two, actually. So this is maybe going back a couple yeah. of years. But they kind of talked about how, particularly with season one, and this is maybe something they get away get away from slightly in season two. But like they they kind of had intentionally tried to to marry together this kind of sci fi plot A of maybe Rick and Morty going off on an adventure, but then kind of ground it back with the kind of domestic subplots between um between beth and jerry uh, which would be like the second subplot so it's almost uh, you know they, they they talk about their influences and they said matt grenning was like a, a huge influence for them and you know with that kind of sci-fi plot meets um domestic plot line you know that's almost combining like the simpsons and futurama there on one uh, on one show and obviously you know you kind of combine it with that almost like South Park um, attitude with, you know, the swearing and, you know, the crudeness and, you know, that, that you know, tackling the, the, the more adult themes. But, you know, if, if, if you told me, you know, my teenage self, if you were going to combine a show, if you were going to combine The Simpsons, Futurama and South Park into one show, I'd be like, yes, 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 yes. And I'm delighted that the 30 the year old in me still finds that just as appealing. Well, I think there's something really special about a show that can deal with these high concept topics, uh, but do it in a juvenile vernacular or just, um, and I know that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Like my mom is not a fan of this show. No, my wife isn't either. She won't watch it. (laughs) Yeah. I, well, I had her suffer through like three episodes and she was like, I just, I don't get it. I don't like it. And on the flip side, my girlfriend, it's one of her favorite shows of all time. And, um, it's just it's funny just how it, it affects different people and I, I think um it definitely speaks a lot to probably like the millennial generation you know or, or gen xers more than the baby boomers uh just because there is a little more casualness about the speech and just the way that they they i don't know deal with life problems in a blunt way does that does that make any sense just kind of how uh, one of my favorite parts um from the first interdimensional cable episode, which uh, both of those are fantastic from each season, but the season one where Morty tells Summer how he and Rick killed himself in Rick Potion number nine and had to bury his own body in the backyard. And that is such like a really moving, heavy scene to, you know, admit to your sibling that that happened it's so but i dark. just like the you know it hit yeah it's really dark especially in that episode which i want to talk a little bit about later just how how they pair these incredibly funny um you know situations with these really heavy dark emotional moments but that where he ends and says you know nothing matters we're all gonna die come watch some tv it's just <laughs> like that's something i don't think my parents would ever say but it's something that really rings true to me and just a very blunt like yeah you know in the end it's you you do what you do and you and you kind of have to go day by day and it doesn't mean that you don't strive for greater things but that i think you also need to take time to you know sit back and just veg out and not worry so much about the world or you know get too caught up and, and down on yourself yeah I mean, even if you've had to literally bury your body in the ground after <laughs> almost destroying the entire planet yeah it's a very relaxed t- take on nihilism i suppose i mean uh, that's yes and good for them 
Hey, Morty. Oh, hey, hey, Jessica. So, is Tiny Rick your brother or cousin or... No, my grandpa just transferred his consciousness into a clone of himself so he could be in our high school. Cool. Hey, Tiny Rick's playing guitar. All right, everybody. This next one's coming straight from the heart, making the lyrics up right off the top of my head. Let me out. What you see is not the same person as me. My life's a lie. I'm not who you're looking at. Let me out. Set me free. I'm really old. And, and like you talk about the, the the high concept stuff of this, and um, I wanted to ask you about this, and you know if you don't feel like talking about it, then then so be it. But I know you know you'd you'd mentioned before that you were working and you were pre- uh, working on like a spec script from Rick and Morty, and I'm mm. just like I wanted to ask you. I mean, how how do you even get yourself in that frame of mind? Because I like I I watch these shows and I'm just blown away at like how complicated and layered it is, but like how they still manage to make it accessible. I mean, how do you even go? back go about approaching that man sure I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it without getting to too many specifics because uh, I'm, I'm co-writing with someone else yeah. so I don't want to uh, to share too much without their approval. sure sure um, the kind of way we approached it it was me and, and two of my friends kind of sat down we're, we're all Rick and Morty fans watched every episode you know many many times and we tried to find the running themes that are any or I mean themes like structure points, I guess, from each episode, and you definitely have this. The pop culture references are there, and um, it almost seems like they're uh, not even just about. It's not like the Family Guy style where you'd make a pop culture reference or even throw in a tangent, but it's more like they take the general concept of something. You know, let, let's let's look at the second episode where they're going through all the dreams. Now, clearly, that's Inception. I mean, they even say it. Uh, you know, one of my favorite lines is Rick just yelling about like, well, if it's confusing, it doesn't make sense. And so is America, everyone like America's favorite movie, like some crazy thing like that <laughs> ripping on Inception. But it's not like, uh, you know, like they redid a scene from that movie, like flying around with all the folding cities or, you know, or even kept necessarily all the same rules. It's like they took this idea, looked at it from both sides about how it's a great work of art and also like every Christopher Nolan film when you stop and think about it after you're you know done watching it you're like wait a minute a few of those things so I like that they called out both of those without just making a direct pop culture ripoff so that's kind of where we started from we wanted to look at a few different like pop culture tropes and we settled on something that very 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 loosely now like in the final stages was based kind of on Jaws so kind of going from there and then basically throwing away the whole last episode of season two because obviously we don't know what's going to happen. Right. So just trying to get back to a typical Rick and Morty-like episode. And so we have an A plot that follows Rick and Morty and a B plot with Summer, Beth, and Jerry. And they're on an alien world and they're um, taking care of some stuff, each of them. And it'll all come together in the end as these plots often often do. Not always, but some most of the episodes I think they do kind of have some overlap at least in the themes and yeah so that was that was kind of our approach it was really just analyzing the show seeing the beats they hit i'd love to get our hands on an actual script i've seen like a few pages here and there and some unofficial stuff but uh you know for formatting issues but i think as far as like getting the voice and stuff down um 
the more you watch and the more you write in those character voices, just the better it gets. <laughs> the other key for us was making a guest voice character with no actor in mind or anything, mm. just some ridiculous character, because there's almost always at least one of those in every episode. Yeah. And uh, we, we settled on, on someone really good, and, and I think that really adds to the whole the whole story of it. So that's kind of our process of making it. Sorry it's so vague. No, no. I mean, obviously, you don't, love to, you don't want to give it away, yeah. obviously. I mean, you're, it's something you're working no, on. No, I don't want anyone else going out there and obviously writing the same thing that I wrote. No, of course, that doesn't happen. But, it, but, but yeah, when, when things are more finalized, I'd love to talk more about it. And it's definitely something that we're making for our portfolio. That's awesome. I mean, it just sounds like, a, it, I mean, this is the sort of show where I think it'd be so fun to just kind of try and put yourself in that world. Um, so, you know, you know, yeah. I, I'm nothing but like blown away that you guys would even try and take that on because I, I don't even know where I would begin with it. So you have nothing but my admiration on that. It's just, yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks. Well, and, and having like the total freedom of the Rick and Morty multiverse, I mean, it's not even a universe. It's, right. Uh, it's, it's great to know that you can pretty much do anything, but it's also incredibly daunting to try and make sense of the things that you're writing. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's it, so yeah. My, you know, props to, props to the Rick and Morty writing team, because it's incredible how they always come out with a cohesive product that never ceases to, you know, give a few twists and turns that will blow my mind every episode. The world can be one together, cosmos without hatred, stars like diamonds in your eyes. The ground can be space, 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 with feet marching towards a peaceful sky. All the moon men want things their way. But we make sure they see the sun Goodbye, moon man You say goodbye, moon man Goodbye, moon man Goodbye But I, I guess that's it, man. I mean, like, in theory, they can go everywhere. You know, I think they've talked about how time traveling's off the table and they don't want to go into that, which is quite funny based on, you know, their kind of roots and back to the future. But, like, they can go anywhere. They can do anything, which you would think would be very liberating. But at the same time, you're just sort of like, well, maybe we could do with some restrictions just to kind of give me a place where I can start. I mean, if you can go anywhere, I mean, where do you even begin? But uh, Yeah, and I think restrictions is key and... I know they're not really doing t any time travel, but they t they talk about multiverse and multiple timelines mm -hmm. a lot throughout the series. And there's this great theory <laughs> I want to get into, uh, but part of it that really stuck out to me is um, this guy, let me find his name, Dillian M. C. Rich is a Redditor who came up with this great multiverse theory. And... Um, Something that really stuck out from his research to me was how in the episode uh, Close Encounters of the Rick Kind, you have the Council of Ricks, and they are talking about, of all the Ricks on the central finite curve, your Rick fits the profile. 
when they're when they're interrogating him in that kind of trial situation. Mm. So they talk about the central finite curve, which makes sense that we know there are infinite universes because Rick says this in several episodes. However, there's always this caveat that he adds about there being restrictions in place and that, you know, when they destroy the whole, when they turn Earth into Cronenberg world and they, um, you know, need to come back and do the whole scene where they're burying the bodies that I mentioned earlier uh, in the episode Rick Potion number nine. Uh, you know, he talks about, like, we only get three or four more of these tops, like, where he gets it right and where things work out. But if if something's infinite, if there are infinite universes and infinite timelines, then there should be infinite Ricks and infinite Mortys, infinite everything. So you also have, in the later episode of the Rick's D Minutes, where Summer's looking through the same visors that Rick uses in uh, the Rick Potion number nine to look at the other universes, where she's not showing up you know, three, four times it takes her to get to a timeline, which is excruciatingly dull, which is, you know, perfect for the show, because poor Summer. (laughs) Um, But that, you know, maybe the Ricks have a way of filtering the universes and timelines that they can go through. And so when they said that whole thing about the central finite curve, it made sense that maybe there is some sort of filter in place, like, where there are only... I mean, there may be infinite universes, but that doesn't mean that every universe could sustain life, that any universe could sustain an Earth that had humans, that bore a Rick, that Rick had a Beth, and that Beth had a Morty. To have all of that line up, there might be a, some sort of, you know, very intense specific filtering system that allows Rick to just, with one flick of a button, turn to another universe to see if that's an option for him to go to, as opposed to cycling through infinity. Um, and we do know infinity exists, because we have the infinity channels from the TV. So there's definitely some Rick made restriction on the way that uh the that they travel between universes and timelines. So does that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> Give me a second, all right? I'm I'm trying to yeah. I'm trying to put all that together. Um Oh boy. Well, we definitely need to link to this guy's video in the show notes cuz uh it it'll blow your mind and he 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 takes some really great shots from the second episode of Rick and Morty season two, where they go to Blips and Chits uh, in Morty Night Run. And uh, as you may recall from the beginning, they have to drop Jerry off at the Jerry Burrito, yep. which hands down is probably like my, it's got to be my top three gag of the entire series. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> great, man. It's pretty great. Jerry Burrito and the fact that our Rick didn't even come up with the idea, Rick to Earth Dimension C-137, so... Um, and that he's, you know, pissed at the other Rick that is a millionaire now. Um, but so they get the ticket, which is ticket number five, one, two, six for their Jerry. And at the, and then they go off to blips and shits. Morty gets mad, t- steals the ship, kills Combropolis Michael, which is a real shame. Cause I think he's hilarious. Um, <laughs> and, uh, then they go through the whole thing of he rescues fart which is also a great name for a character, and they take him um, through the universe and destroy the gearhead planet, all that, blah, 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 blah. They end up at the end where he's going to go through his portal back to his own dimension, but Morty realizes that Fart is going to kill all carbon-based life forms in their universe, so he kills him. When he goes back to the ship, Rick is picking up these very specific green crystal-like things with pink crystals on the top of them and dumping them into the trunk of his ship then they fly back to the jerry Bury, and they go in there and they say to another rick and morty oh how many 
people was your Morty responsible for killing today? And that uh, Rick says, none, we, we played at Blips and Chits all day. And they're like really excited. <laughs> we're still we're still following the Rick and Morty that, you know, went through with rescuing Fart and everything. Right. And they get their Jerry. And then this other Rick and Morty comes up to them and says, hey, is that ticket 5126? And they, you know, swap the Jerry's <laughs> at that point because that Morty does not have. So that means the Rick that asked, do you have ticket 5126, is the very first Rick from that episode, which means that episode could have been following a whole nother Rick and Morty through the entire, the entire episode. And his, his like damning evidence, I think, for this is when you look at the episode Total Rickall, two episodes after that. The one with our favorite character, Mr. Poopy Butthole, who we learned by the end of the episode is not a parasite and is not a delusion, but actually a real friend of the family that's been around, including the intro credits. Uh, <laughs> that that, um, in the opening of that episode, before we sit down at the, at the breakfast table, Rick is in the background walking over to the trash can and he dumps the green crystals with the pink tops into the trash can. Which would imply, unless both Ricks from C-137 and this other Rick went to the fart world to give fart back to his dimension, then this has to be the Rick and Morty from the second episode, which was not dimension C-137. Which means that the whole Mr. Poopy Butthole episode could have been following a completely different Rick and Morty. <laughs> now, the implications of all of this means... That in Dimension C-137, which is the Rick that was jailed at the end of Season 2, that if this is all correct, then Carbopulous Michael is still alive. And who else but K. Michael is the best assassin in the entire universe that could break into a high-tech facility prison <laughs> and maybe free a prisoner? Oh, and, God. And I'm, pretty sure, and I'm pretty sure that Justin and Dan had this Redditor in mind when they talked about how you can't write payoff-based TV series anymore because you might spend years coming up with an entire awesome concept, and then as soon as you air episode one, someone posts online with a snap of their fingers mm -hmm. the entire solution. <laughs> I'm glad you pulled that up because that was going to be like my... I was about... I felt really bad because I was about to read you this quote and be like, well... Um, they don't really see it that way, but, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Today on How They Do It, Plumbuses. Everyone has a plumbus in their home. First, they take the dinglebop and they smooth it out with a bunch of schleem. The schleem is then repurposed for later batches. They take the dinglebop and they push it through the grumbo where the fleeb is rubbed against it. It's important that the fleeb is rubbed because the fleeb has all of the fleeb juice. Then a shlami shows up and he rubs it and spits on it. They cut the fleeb. There's several hizzards in the way. The blamps rub against the trumbles and the plubis and grumbo are shaved away. That leaves you with a regular old plumbus. I always wondered how uh, plumbuses got made. I find that fascinating, and I'm really glad that, like, that they recognize that, like, that Harmon and Roylan recognize that, like, you can't really do that anymore, because, like, yeah, I think, as you say, he has the great, the great quote, they have an unlimited calculation capacity, and that's right, I mean, if you put it out there and you're getting something that's watched by millions of people, people are going to guess, like, it's, it's really hard, and, like, I don't even think you need, it requires that much, like, 
thought and someone's put all that thought into it and it just makes your head spin i'd heard yeah someone like really took the i mean it's, it's like someone wrote a dissertation on a on a tv show and well i mean what are we doing we're hosting a podcast talking about the intricacies of television so i guess it's just the age we live in now. yeah oh i'd i'd heard a theory that um uh the new season's gonna kick off where like they're still in the virtual reality world of the m night shama aliens episode which is like episode oh four of like season one so i like i yeah. i'd heard that that's that's something that's gonna happen and they're gonna realize that and they're gonna get out of it but again uh i don't know i don't think i want to <laughs> i don't want to speculate too much i kind of i'm quite happy going along with the ride <laughs> Um, we'll maybe talk about this on other season, uh, on other episodes we have lined up in the future. But I, I think that um, this kind of nature of online speculation can really, really ruin a television show. Um, and I have one specific one in mind, which may, maybe we'll talk about in a couple of weeks' time. But who knows? Yeah, uh, it's it's definitely like a double-edged sword. I mean, you know, I think I'm safe in saying that most people are obsessed with Game of Thrones, and the and the internet community is. <laughs> You know, has an infinite amount of theories um, about that, and I've seen a lot of people get really bent out of shape when uh, you know the show doesn't do something that was a theory or lives up to a theory, like basically shot for shot. And um, I, most of the time, I find myself I never really read about shows when they're on because I like to just go in with a clean slate. I'm going to trust mm-hmm. these people to tell me a really interesting story. I don't need to guess. I just want to be entertained. Right. I mean, in the end, we have to always remember, like, this is just entertainment. It's high-level art, in my opinion, but it's still entertainment. And, um, yeah, so I've never been one to really read too much about it. Of course, prepping for our show and after watching an episode, I'll, you know, read reviews and, you know, read more about the series because I find it really interesting to do that work. But, you know, when I come into it, I like to come into it fresh and – I don't get too hung up on speculation. I just thought that theory that this Redditor posted was really, really incredible and just, I thought it would be a really good example to show how much people <laughs> right. think about this show and just in shows in general. I know. Um, we'll, put the, we'll have to put the video in the show notes because, you know, his, watching him do the scenes from all the different episodes, it's, it's a great 11-minute watch. Yeah. And I think, I think there is part of the fun about, about the speculation. And I think shows like Rick and, Rick and Morty, are. I, I think it's definitely okay to like do that. And I think something like Game of Thrones is definitely okay to speculate about. And I think it's the same for something like The Walk of Dead, where you can spend a few months thinking, who's Negan going to crack over the head with a baseball bat? I think all of that's great. I think, I think where it kind of falls down um, is when you have maybe more high concept shows which are kind of based on like keeping you guessing and like kind of like shrouded in mystery and like they kind of get you coming back every week to kind of give you a little bit more pieces to the puzzle and and I think that's where it can kind of fall down and I guess it kind of falls back into what we were talking about last week a little bit more with um you know Netflix dumping all of their episodes all all at once whereas you know something like Rick and Morty something like Game of Thrones that is something that you're gonna have to for the time being anyway obviously if you're listening to this in the future and all of these episodes are out you you can go back and watch them all in one go but from where we sit right now we're gonna have to let these stories progress on a weekly basis and i think there is fun like speculating from week to week as long as you don't get like too caught up on it but <laughs> i don't know it's 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 part of the fun i suppose <laughs> yeah I, mean, I think that's key and you know everybody's different i mean some people might have fun getting all riled up about a theory and and you know i mean 
Anger is a powerful drug. Yeah, we all know. I'm. I'm just. I'm gonna put this. Especially if you've been on the internet. I'm gonna put this out here now, though. This is my. This is my uh, prediction for season three. I think uh, Morty is gonna gonna use the 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 Mr. Meeseeks box to um, send an army of Meeseeks to get Rick out of there. But that's that's just my prediction. I don't know. That's that's probably a very basic level. I'm sure people are furious at the simplicity of that plan. But you know, it's it's good not to overthink these things sometimes. Yeah, come on, Michael. I demand a 10-page paper on my desk, you know, by Monday morning. All right, I'll get to work on that. <laughs> oh, yeah. You gotta get Swifty. You gotta get Swifty in here. It's time to get Swifty. Uh-oh. You gotta get Swifty. Oh, yeah. Take off your pants and your panties. Shit on the floor, time to get swifty in here. Got a shit on the floor. I'm Mr. Bulldops. I'm Mr. Bulldops. Take a shit on the floor, take off your panties and your pants. It's time to get swifty in here. New song, swifty, double X. Swifty song coming at ya. It's the swift, swifty. Hey, take your pants off. It's Swifty time today. Are there any are there any episodes for you that really well, I'm sure there's so many that stand out, but what what are your favorites? What are you really what are what are your go-to ones? Yeah, so short answer every episode. Right. <laughs> I mean, literally anyone you could turn on. But I do want to talk about a couple concepts that really stuck out to me from certain episodes. Um speaking of Meeseeks, let's look at that episode, Meeseeks and Destroys. So the A plot, which everyone that's watched Rick and Morty is familiar with. I mean, you got the Meeseeks box; it's going out of control. It's hilarious how it can't help Jerry, you know, solve his <laughs> golf, um, you know, improve his handicap, and that it so easily fixes Summer's popularity concerns and Beth's uh, concerns about their marriage. Also, by the way, I don't know if this is necessarily the first episode that does it, but it really struck home that apparently in Earth Dimension C one thirty seven. People outside of Rick and like people outside of the Smiths also seem to have no problem with just random things happening, such as like giant heads floating over their town or a Meeseeks, you know, coming into the school to speak on behalf of one of the students and why she's so great. <laughs> uh, I always found that to be, you know, great that just, you know, nobody gives a shit about that. They're not going to address that issue. And this is just part of the ordinary world. We're moving on. Yeah. Uh, so you got this Meeseeks episode and. It's it's a hilarious A plot, and the B plot of it is Morty leading an adventure, uh, which I really like, and it has this kind of controversial scene in it though, um, where the where Mr. Jellybean, who you later find out is the king of all the candy people, tries to rape Morty in the bathroom, and it's it's something where it was like when I did the second watch through that episode, because I was like I'm so excited to watch the Meeseeks, yeah 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 yeah, and then I was like oh. God, right, this B-plot is terrifying. And, um, you know, they, they were interviewed about it, and I I think it was handled really, really well and really mature, and hopefully, like, I mean, there are people that have been abused, and they might see this episode taking, you know, a realistic look at how horrible it is about using it as an opportunity to open up, and I think that's really something powerful that happens a lot in pop culture and it may only affect you know a few people like we're talking maybe three or four in the long run but if it helps like you know even one person kind of confront some stuff like that i think it's really interesting that we're seeing that a lot more 
And I, I find it a lot more, too, in sophisticated cartoons that you have these zany concepts that also can be supported by a deep emotional storyline. And with the Meeseeks being such an incredible um, invention by, by the Rick and Morty team, and with so many possibilities there, uh, it's it can be somewhat distracting from this underlying plot point of Morty having to confront someone, you know, trying to molest him in a bathroom, which... I don't know of too many other shows that balance A and B plots the same way. Yeah, I mean, it it is really... It, I mean, it, that scene is, is quite something, uh, really, when you look at it. It's... Uh, just kind of comes out of nowhere again kind of starts off kind of comedic it's you know happening in this b plot as you say which is you know up until that point just been pretty irrelevant and pretty pretty ridiculous and then something like that comes along and you're just like bloody hell um yeah definitely one that catches you out and 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 also you know on a less serious note interesting to see you know rick and morty five episodes into season one being relegated to the b plot in their own show i mean that's 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 a pretty brave choice as well but i mean you know it's that kind of investment in in the rest of the family which i think uh turns out to be you know one of the show's strengths you know they again going back to that interview they talk about how they wanted to build summer up as a as a more three-dimensional character rather than just kind of your dippy valley girl and you know there's real there's real like um the, the the relationship between jerry and um and beth is just so vicious and just so on the nose at times that it's just un yeah really really uncomfortable to watch at times just how like how grounded in reality almost that that relationship is well yeah i think it's because they have these throwaway comments that are so passive aggressive yeah. toward each other that you know, though you might gloss over them when you're laughing too hard at something that Rick or Morty just did in the in the same scene, and um, but they set it up right from the first episode with that that ending with the you know um, famous or maybe infamous now the Rick and Morty forever and forever hundred years Rick and Morty whole spiel at the end, but right before Morty collapses on the on the ground, you have. Uh, Beth and Jerry discussing the prospect of having sex and that, yes, this sounds like it would be acceptable for right now. So <laughs> it's clearly like not a good marriage right from the beginning. And um, I'll be honest, it is getting a little tiring to me that we've gone two seasons and not really seen their relationship change. I don't know if they're trying to make a point in saying that these people are basically stuck together and, you know, can't get divorced, nor can they heal their relationship. But for me as a viewer, it, it is getting a little tiring. I loved the episode where they go to the marriage counselor on the planet and, um, you know, oh, I'm blanking on his name, but having the the dean from Community. Yeah, Jim Rash. Marriage counselor. Jim Rash. Yeah, incredible. Especially when he's like, this is Beth and Jerry from the planet ER. Like, <laughs> just, you know, little, little touches like that. Uh, but even after that episode, we're like kind of back to the same Beth and Jerry, and that's something I'd like to see in season three. Like, can we get a fundamental change in this relationship, or 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 get them just involved in different plots? And like, if this isn't going to change, then let's leave it because it's kind of getting a little tiresome to me. Yeah, definitely. And like speaking about like the darkness of that of that scene in that episode with the uh, with the king jelly bean, you know, it's only a, I think a couple of episodes later, it might even be like the in fact it is the next episode with Rick Potion number nine, which you've already alluded to. I mean that 
that I think this was the one. I mean, I was already a, a lot along the way with it, but this is this is the episode that kind of told me that it was it was just something a bit different. It was just you know yeah. s- to go that approach, you know, transforming the whole world into these disgusting like Cronenberg esque like monsters, and then you know there's no happy ending to it. They don't fix it. There's no well, we'll travel back in time and everything will be all right. Or oh, here's the secret. Here's the magic antidote that's going to save the the whole world. It's just. It's it's like the equivalent of like sweeping it under the rug and moving on with it. It's like it's so grim. Well, I'd almost I'd almost argue argue against that no happy ending because you do get a happy ending for Beth, Jerry, and Summer as the only humans left on this Cronenberg world. They finally seem to be completely at peace without Rick and Morty torment. <laughs> uh, true enough. True enough. But no, I I do agree with you. It's it's. They don't always wrap up nice, and um, even even if the main episode doesn't wrap up, you don't always get a wrap up with the tag either, or or at least it's a wrap up in a different way. Um, and that's yeah, that's something that this show just does so well, and I think that's what really makes it a cut above the rest of most of the stuff you see on TV, regardless of genre or you know live action animation, whatever. It's just um, it's really impressive what they're doing, and uh, I didn't mention earlier but the way i heard about this was through a friend who heard about it from his brother who heard about it from his friend and it seems it reminds me a lot of um cult classics like maybe donnie darko or Racerhead or uh you know those kinds of movies that you kind of hear about from friends of friends and you you kind of get into it that way uh and i don't know too many tv shows that are like that nowadays because there's so much tied into advertising and uh, granted, I think Stranger Things didn't have much advertising and really blew up, but uh, to have a network TV show kind of build this audience kind of snowballing from a, a very specific niche of sci-fi, raunchy, animated humor kind of hitting the mainstream is, is something I find very impressive. Yeah! All right! mentioned kind of like the the guest stars and the, like it does seem like every episode they've got like a, a, such is the nature of all the the, the different like characters and the, the, the you know the expanse of the multiverse they've got guest stars in every episode is there a guest star that kind of stands out to you like a a, a, a semi-recurring character or a one-off character that really catches your eye Ooh, <laughs> no. that is a really tough try narrowing it down question <laughs> i mean they're also great I I love John Oliver's yeah. performance in the third episode as um, Doctor Xenon Bloom. It's his whole bit with the bone train. <laughs> like, would you like to ride the bone train? And more like, why are you doing? That's this one of my favorite episodes, die? man. That's They're, one of my favorite episodes. I mean, that they, they yeah they knock it out of the park with that. Um, 
So he's one that stands out just because I feel like that character, uh, as great as Stephen Colbert was as um, the basically mini Rick living inside the car battery during <laughs> that great episode from season two with the Ricks must be crazy. I, like Colbert does a phenomenal job, but I could see like a few other people filling that role with something with Dr. Xenon Bloom. It has to be John Oliver to me. I mean, no one really embodies that uh, kind of old Dr. Hammond from Jurassic Park, yeah. but also the familiar, the familiar uh, voice and kind of vocabulary of John Oliver, who's a veteran from community as well. So it's, I'm really glad that he was able to work with Harmon again. Um, I'm assuming with this episode, but yeah, I, I have to say, I know he's not recurring, but <laughs> I'm going to go with him for, for a favorite guest. What about you? Well, I mean, before I before I talk about mine, I mean, that episode as well, uh, you know, you kind of talked about, like, your favorite sort of joke that's just kind of dropped in there. My, like, Rick's reactions and his um, loyalty and his, like, defensiveness behind Pirates of the Pancreas is, like, oh, I absolutely love that. He's like, oh, you gotta go see him, Mar- you gotta go see him, Marty. I got a lot of pushback on that, uh, but I'm, I'm very, like, he's just so, like, into this idea, and it's so, like... He's a man that's like you know wrestling with like the fabric of of the multiverse basically, and like he just gets so petty and defensive over like this theme park ride yeah. that he's pitched, which is just it's a terrible idea. It's clearly not where his strengths lie, but it's just like for me, I thought that was absolutely fantastic. And I think that's a great bit. I think it makes it it makes him feel more real. It's like again, like we can all we can all identify with frustration over someone not understanding what we're trying to get across, especially this. <laughs> any kind of project that you spent time on yeah oh it's great i love it and it, and like in and definitely john oliver is like one of those one-off characters but uh, alfred molina's appearance as the devil in something uh, oh, wicked yeah. this way comes um you know the, the 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 other plot to that episode doesn't make it like a classic I, like you know when jerry and um morty go off to pluto you know i can i i can kind of take that or leave it although i do enjoy the inclusion of rich fulcher as the voice of like the plutonian uh the, the head on, oh, on pluto. Oh, fl- it was like flimpy flimpy Nibble. yeah yeah, right. I, he, he, I mean, he's very good. I love. I've loved him since his mighty Bush yeah. days. But um, yeah, back on Earth, you've just got Rick and uh, Alfred Molina as the devil in like this old kind of haunted shop. I love how he just basically shits on the concept. Like, uh, it's basically a, he's trying to set up a Twilight Zone episode or something, and then Rick just comes in right. and is like, "Oh, so you're going to give me this microscope, and it's going to make me retarded? I get it. Oh, these are very, very ironic." And how he just uses his science to completely like destroy the devil. I just I love that like that's that's like Rick using his like dark humor and like his power like his assholeness but he's using it for good like he just basically makes it his mission to destroy his livelihood like he opens up a store across the street and then like once he's done it he's just like right I'm done uh burn down the business all done prove my point I'm the best move on with it and yeah Alfred, Alfred Molina is just so great you know he starts off so just like Oh yes, you can have this. It'll, this cologne will, will make you irresistible for women, and then he just—he's a shell of his former self by the end. I love it. I just—I—that I, whole plot line is like one of my favorites. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, and I love how it takes just Rick needing to be, you know, annoyed by someone or doing something for for a petty reason. It doesn't matter to him. I think if it's an evil or a good thing, it just matters if it benefits his very specific objective. Yeah. And so. Yes, he did a good thing for that town, but it was all just motivated out of spite. And like you said, he just burns down the store when it's over. And it's like, all right, everybody out. I'm done. I made my point. And, uh, you know, you like you said, the devil is um, 
like a husk of himself by the end but i did like how they had the twist you know like in the i think in the penultimate scene before the tag where he does you know uh cheat summer out of her idea i can't remember exactly yeah that's right yeah to the doc needful.com and everything and uh you know but then it just still like it just takes rick and more rick and summer to buff up and then beat the crap out of him to get him back in his place i forgot all about that part that's amazing (laughs) but yeah it's it's just funny to like how they they, I think they kind of constantly are pulling one over you, even like with, well, Rick is going to outsmart the devil and the devil's going to get down, but then at the last second he outsmarts Summer, but then at the end, Summer, Rick just beat him to shit. Like, yeah. oh, okay, well, that's how it is. And like, he doesn't, it's not even like Rick invents a machine that's going to make them both super yeah. strong. It's like, we're just going to hit the weights for like a month, and then yeah, we're going to exactly. just go the <laughs> And they'll never mention it again. <laughs> I love it, I love it. The, the the final episode I definitely want to make sure we touch on, which I think is, it might be my favorite, is uh, Total Rick Call, um, where, you know, it takes place in the family home. They're not going outside, but, like, the house is invaded by these, like, these parasites, which I guess just, like, change your, your conception of reality or, like, alter your memories, and they basically feed off you that way and just yeah. just to see how that episode kind of snowballs away you know it starts off with rick very much in control you know explaining who these guys are and how you have to be careful and he writes down his number and he's got his plan and then just to see how that is just just chipped away at him like in the first few moments and then it just gets completely ludicrous i love it i think it's really really like that that's it's writing it like it's you know there's almost a simplicity to it but it's just so complicated at the same time Hmm. Well, I think you nailed it when you said ludicrous, because that's what I I feel like they, they kind of start with. It's not necessarily, like, too abstract of a concept. Like, okay, there's a parasite in the house. Okay, like, we're going to have multiple dimensions. Or, okay, there's a thing that can solve all your problems, like the Mises box. But it's it's how they take it from that concept and then amplify it. Like, not only is this just, like, a parasite, but it turns into people that insert them into your memories from your entire life. <laughs> life and that you're not even sure of the people that you that are real people are these parasites or not and that apparently it's so deadly and can you know multiply so quickly that rick has to put the house in an entire lockdown yeah um and again another great throwaway line of uh you know beth asking why is there a blast shield around the house and he's like you don't want to know how many answers there are to that <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's like it reminds you of this this is the ordinary world, and the ordinary world is batshit insane fantastical. Yeah, and it's just like that episode is just testament to what a pathetic worm Jerry is. Like, he can't even be, oh, like, the winner, like, in this, like, memory. He has to be, like, the... the he's basically relegated to, like, the tack-on of a memory's, like, best friend slash gay lover who's, who's taken his wife, and, and, like, by the end, he's like, right. no, take me, take me. It's just like, how... It's just like how can you like um, castrate this character even more? And it's just like in this in this storyline where they're all kind of rendered powerless and they're all kind of rendered as like the victims. He still manages to come off as like this pathetic like excuse for a human being. He's always finding the new low, and uh, like uh, they literally turn him into a worm yeah, in right. that episode where they're on the marriage right. council retreat. It's 
Oh, yeah, it's, it's incredible. And, you know, I mean, if I was Beth, though, Sleepy Gary, I mean, he looks like a good guy. So True. it would have to be a tough choice. You know, do you want someone who's kind of sleepy or do you want <laughs> Jerry? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was sad to see yeah, Mr. Props... Belvedere go as well. I mean, I feel like he was a great addition oh, yeah, to the household. Yeah. <laughs> well, and he's part of the, the standard season two opening credits. Too. That's right. Like, at least you get to see him from week to week. Seems like TV from other dimensions has a somewhat looser feel to it. Yeah, it's got an almost improvisational tone. It's in theaters now, coming this summer. Two brothers in a van, and then a meteor hit. And they ran as fast as they could from giant cat monsters. And then a giant tornado came. And that's when things got knocked into 12th gear. A Mexican armada shows up with weapons made from tomatoes. And you better bet your bottom dollar that these two brothers know how to handle business. In Alien Invasion Tomato Monster Mexican Armada Brothers, who are just regular brothers running in a van from an asteroid and all sorts of things, the movie. Hold on, there's more. Old women are coming, and they're also in the movie, and they're gonna come and cross attack these two brothers. But let's get back to the brothers, because they're, they have a strong bond. You don't wanna know about it here, but I'll tell you one thing. The moon, it comes crashing into Earth, and what do you do then? It's two brothers, and, a, and, and they're gonna, it's called Two Brothers, Two Brothers. There are a few like little things I wanted to mention about how they they prep the episodes. Yeah. So I guess just Justin kind of plans out where he's going to stutter in advance, but he also plans out the burps for Rick. And in this interview, he talked about how he drinks this mixture of light beer and water, and he's somehow able to pick exactly which words he's going to burp on. And I think he even said like determine how wet or dry the burp. Oh, God. He has it down to this science and. Man, if you're the creator behind a product, especially if you're voicing both main characters, uh, that that's great to see that kind of dedication. That it's you know not just a fluke. That he this is a passion project for Justin, especially, and I mean for both Justin and Dan. But the fact that yeah, he must have been thinking about that for years before he even recorded the first Rick line. Yeah, I guess that's kind of the way. That's one of many ways they kind of take it differently from, uh, like, in terms of the voice recording, and differently from other aspects that you see in animation. You know, normally, I, you know, I, I believe they they do the animation and then they bring the the actors in to to kind of record around it. But here they kind of use more of a. I think they use like the retro scripting scripting, right, where the actors are kind of given an outline of what the character says and then they kind of ad limit ad lib it and like all that with kind of the bur- like that the free flow with the burping and like the ad libbing that's not really something you would expect from something that i guess has to be kind of much more rigorous in animation but it's a it's a different approach like you don't really think of animation mixed in with improv would work very well but uh god it, it works very well here yeah well and definitely in, in those two episodes from each season where there is so much improv uh I think everyone knows what we're talking about, the the ones with the interdimensional cable, where there's clearly, he's just improvising concepts on the spot. <laughs> right. And um, I don't know exactly their process. I, I believe they mentioned their interview that it takes about eight months yep. from concept to final product. So uh, I don't know if that I'm, I'm, you know, it might be recording first and getting an animatic, and then maybe the animatic, or maybe the animatic comes first, and then that with the voice recording is given to the animators. But... It'd be really interesting to see how they how they deal with that um, improv because uh, there's 
I'm sure they're not doing the script word for word, even on those final takes. I mean, I, I would imagine that Justin and probably some of the other cast members, if not all of them, are taking liberties here and there. And that's that's a good point. If there are any animators listening that want to weigh in, that would be great to kind of know how that process goes. Yeah, it, dealing it really with a would. show that might not just be strictly scripted. Yeah. You know, like, in a, like I'm assuming like an Adventure Time and a Simpsons would be like. Um, but... Yeah, I, I, don't, I just found it interesting that <laughs> giving so much attention to detail to burping, I don't think has been done in a cartoon since The Simpsons. So, <laughs> That's uh, true. Rick and Morty were doing that. <laughs> yeah, but like for, for Homer Simpson, it was always like the button on something. You know, it was a way to kind of, it was just kind yeah. of inappropriate. But here it's just dropped in there. I love it. It's great. Yeah, just randomly in with, with all the slurring and drooling and all that good stuff that I'm assuming we're going to see a lot more of. In season three. And apparently it's going to be 14 episodes. Yes. So it'll be even longer. Can't wait. The first two. Uh, yeah. I guess the second season was not supposed to end with a cliffhanger. It was supposed to be a two-parter. But they were up against deadlines and couldn't finish it in time. And also their penultimate episode, Luke Who's Purging Now, they wrote it in like a half hour. I think they said. They like um, did uh, like took, I think, like Ritalin or some sort of ADHD oh, thing. And just just wrote Luke Who's Purging Now in about a half hour because they were... They couldn't really figure out how to end the second season, but the way they talk about the third one, it sounds really exciting. And uh, I know there's been some recent press in the last couple of months of 2016 about Adult Swim's issue with not hiring many female writers or just female staff members in general. And uh, you know, Justin and Dan weighed in on it on an interview, and I think it's really encouraging to see that uh, they said they've had like five or six scripts that are going to be by female writers for this, the third season, and. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't a conscious act to only have male writers, but this is an issue that comes up a lot, especially lately, and I'm really glad to see that people are taking it more seriously mm. because there needs to be diversity. And as you were pointing out earlier in our talk, how they were pushing Summer into more exciting lines, and we're seeing Beth get developed a little more, too. And, um, you know, I think Summer is a fantastic, kick-ass character that I really enjoy watching her plots and uh a lot of older shows, you know, going back to talking about the 90s, there aren't too many female characters that you're into. and um, But nowadays, with, with all the different shows on, I think we're making a really big change, and that's really cool to see. Yeah, it's definitely really good to see, and it's like a, it seems to be a conscious effort, you know, throughout, not just, you know, television, but certainly movies as well. You know, it's a, very much the, the hot-button topic of, um, of uh, female of uh, actresses' pay against that of their male counterparts. Um, there's definitely... I, I think there is a conscious effort. Um, it's it's not perfect right now, but seeing you know stronger characters, um, stronger female characters um, uh, being put into films, you know, movies being written with strong female characters, strong female lead characters, and I think it is a, an exciting time. I don't think we're quite there yet, but um, the discussions are happening, and and there's definitely improvements. And you know, Rick and Morty is testament to that. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll, we'll see how the third season treats their female characters <laughs> and how it goes forward, and hopefully. We keep uh, keep pushing progress. Yeah, yeah. and and mention and that's my that's my endorsement for the day. Everybody, go home and and think about that. Let's get serious. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and and like you you mentioned, season three season three is coming. Uh, it might be. It may have already been released by the time this episode goes out. We're not entirely sure. Hopefully, we'll get it out in time to make it to tie in, and that'll be good. But um, it, you know, to wrap up in a similar way we did with Stranger Things, um, season three is coming. Uh, uh, Eric, is it the sort of thing that you are going to we don't 
unfortunately have the the option to sit down and purge every episode all at once it's going to be released on what we can assume is a weekly basis but assuming we could would you sit down and 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 purge the whole thing at once is it something that you're happy to take week by week is it something you're gonna you're gonna watch on that first day that it comes out or is it something you're gonna you're gonna wait a while and dip into or i guess is it something that you're you're not that bothered about not that excited about although i i suspect that's not going to be the case no, honestly, like, I mean, after really getting into the research, it's just, I think it's a show that we can pass on in the long run. <laughs> it's just, I don't, it's just not that creative. Yeah, they've done everything <laughs> no, that they course, can do. Uh, <laughs> no, for me, yeah, it's definitely gonna be one I watch the second it airs. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I will, I will be getting that. Uh, the nice thing, I don't have cable, but for those of you that are looking to do the right thing and still watch tv without cable amazon.com's uh video streaming you can buy rick and morty and when the episode airs on tv you will have the digital copy you will own it and keep it um so that's what i do so the second that the episode is released i uh you know get to watch it on the amazon streaming service so i will definitely be doing that as soon as each one airs and if it was available to go straight through, yeah, I would definitely take a day off of work and do that. I mean, this is one of my all-time top five favorite shows, and it's really exciting to have a favorite show that is airing new episodes because a lot of the shows I like are classics. And yeah, um, how about you, Michael? What do, what's your take? How are you going to look into this? I'm exactly the same as you. It's something I am. I I cannot wait for it to come back. To be honest, it's something I can't wait for. It's something I'm going to watch as soon as it's released. And I think I would feel the exact same way were it not for the cliffhanger. Like I I don't think like my my enthusiasm for this new season is based on the fact that it ended on a cliffhanger. You know, some seasons, some shows, you're like, well, I need to see what happens. So that's that's where my enthusiasm comes. That's that's not the case with me. I'm looking forward to one of the most intelligent written uh batshit insane hilarious um shows on television right now to come back and it's funny you stole my note i was actually saying if i could watch every episode if i could purge on it i would take the day off work to do it um to to sit down and watch all of the episodes i would purge just as rick and morty purge on episode in episode uh, nine or ten or whatever it is of the second season which is one of my favorites as well which we didn't get to talk about and it's funny that they wrote it in half an hour because it's one of my favorites I i love that episode <laughs> right yeah i mean that that speaks to a lot of talent in the in that uh, creative pair <laughs> well that's gonna do it for us Thank you all for listening to our ramblings yet again. We are Michael Clancy and Eric Saris, Telly Buddies. If you would like to find out more about our upcoming shows, please follow us at Telly Buddies Pod on Twitter. Check out our Facebook page. And you can also follow myself on Twitter at Clancy Hi Hat. And you can find Eric at Eric Saris. Also, to sneak in my own cheeky plug, be sure to follow my own film show if you want similar kind of ramblings on a cinematic format. The Hi-Hat Film Podcast is available on iTunes and wherever else you can find podcasts. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Hi-Hat Film Pod. Original music for our show is composed by Christopher William Palmer and recorded by Key Lime Pie NYC. You can find out more about Chris's music at www.chrispmusic.net. We hope you can join us for our next episode where we're going to sit down and talk about the Netflix original, Master of None. 
Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Telebuddies. Until next time, have a wonderful day. It's going to be Eric and Michael, Eric and Michael, together for a hundred years, running around. Hundred years, Eric and Michael. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>